amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. This is Almost Entirely Sports with Joshua Briscoe. Part the kimono here a little bit. No, thank you. I'm going to. I'm going to part the kimono. On 1510 AM, 94.5 FM, and the ESPN Kansas City Facebook page. Some of the liners just make me laugh, and then some of them I hear out of context and in retrospect and just kind of go, eee. That's what that one was. That one's it. We do our best. All right, it's draft week. Yeah. Draft week. Which means content. I've had NFL Network on in front of me all day. I haven't been paying attention, but it's been on in front of me. And I've seen Roger Goodell hug a guy so many times. He is just arms wide open, various draftees that end up being fringe contributors like 45 minutes later. But that will not stop us. The content train barrels forward. And we're in a weird place with the Chiefs. We've talked about this a bunch. It's kind of it's kind of strange. It's also very different from last year. Last year we were talking about the sexiest position and also maybe a big draft day trade. Like that gave us the most to talk about. Makes it really easy for hacks like me because I can just watch quarterback highlights and then come up with a a very um, a very specific take. Like I, I this year I hate Josh Allen and I love Baker Mayfield. Like, well, why I don't know. Because. But whenever we're at a place where the Chiefs are probably picking in the 50s, or maybe sooner, and probably taking someone in the defensive backfield, or maybe not, that's that's when guys like Lyle Graverson were talked to now. That's when they get to carry me for like 20 minutes. So, Lyle, thank you. Um, if at any point your back gets strained from carrying the show, just let me know. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Uh, Lyle writes for Arrowhead Addict, so if you want to go read any of his stuff, you can do it there, or go file him on Twitter, at Lyle Graverson. And anywhere you think there might be an O in Graverson, there's not. It's all A's, except for the first A. This is important. I've typed your name wrong a lot of times, Lyle. God bless you, man, because it's been misspelled more times in my life than I can even count, so I appreciate that. I feel like you've got a double whammy also, because like, not to just not to just dunk on your name for the first couple minutes here, but like Beards and I were talking... Uh, during the break, like, I don't know if I've actually met a Lyle. I feel like I've heard my grandparents tell stories about their friends, Lyle, or like Lyle and Jane, who've been married for 60 years. But I don't I, know if I've spoken to a Lyle. Like, is this, has this haunted you your whole life? Am I touching on a, on a sensitive place? Yeah, and it, what, what way that is worse is my, my, childhood happened right at the same time as the children's book, Lyle, Lyle, Crocodile. And so that was just <laughs> a whole nightmare. Of a childhood with the whole name thing. So, yeah, no, it's something I've dealt with my whole life, but I guess I've come, you know, to terms with it at this point. Do you harbor a resentment against crocodiles now? Like, do you see a croc? Like, do you walk around the zoo and you see a crocodile and you just sort of like sneer or have you have you buried that hatchet? I, hope I you think have. I've buried the hatchet at That's this point, bad. but but no, I won't lie. I got real tired of that as a kid. <laughs> Okay, so one, one more show reset here. We're talking to Lyle Lyle Crocodile uh, from Arrowhead Attic. <laughs> okay, so I, what I want you to do here is first I want you to give us kind of a um, – kind of like a positional um, sort of place of need for the Chiefs. Like you don't have to give me three, but I've got I've got three places where I think the Chiefs have varying amounts of need, and then one place that's being a little bit overrated. Before we get into any specifics of anything, let's just throw that out there. Where do the Chiefs really need help in this year's draft, and is there anywhere where you think they don't need as much help as some people would say that they do? Um, I think the obvious one is corner. Mm -hmm. I think with Marcus Peters' departure, you've got to add at least some depth there. I know they think they have some guys that can play. Obviously, Fuller will be key for them this year, but I think you've got to add somebody um, to that, at least that has the potential to 
position where I think maybe fans are overreacting. It might be safety, which isn't a popular opinion. Sure. But uh, I think the reason we haven't seen the Chiefs go out and sign any of those guys that were on the market that could have been had for a reasonable amount is because I think they think they can get similar production out of Eric Murray as they got out of Ron Parker. Now, mm-hmm. you can argue that that production wasn't fantastic, but if you can get that same production out of Eric Murray at a cheaper price and then just add a late-round guy for depth, I think they might be looking to go that route. Mm-hmm. The other thought there is if they can improve the corner play and the pass rush, mm-hmm. that center field um, single high safety is basically just a safety net. And if your play at the corner and pass rush are good, hopefully you don't need that guy to be an all-star because the other guys are taking care of business. So that's one thought I have as far as the safety position. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. And I haven't heard anyone say that safety is not you know worth addressing as highly as you might think. Because um, I agree with you that corner has to be won by, if not by a mile, by a nice chunk. Because we've seen what, what happens to any NFL team whenever you have a glaring weakness at cornerback. Like, if David Amerson just isn't good, then this team has a very specific place that they can be targeted. So I, I agree with you there. The safety thing is interesting because the, the idea that maybe there's more production to be found from Eric Murray is something I sort of buy into. But let's actually stick on the safety position for a second because one thing that I've heard a lot, and you can tell me if this is true or not in your opinion, but I've heard people say that there is significant depth to be had at the safety position and that there is depth how far down, I don't know. So how far does that safety depth go? Does that mean that there are guys at the end of the second round that can be day one starters? Does that mean that there are guys at the end of the fifth round that can contribute in day one? How do you see the safety position as a whole in this year's draft? I think there's a chance they could get a starter in the second round if they stay put. Um, is there any one guy you can count on getting there? No, but would it be um, possible that a guy like Jesse Bates from Wake Forest could fall to him, who I really like? He would probably be my top choice. Um, obviously, the uh, guy Reed from Stanford is projected to go earlier, but I don't think it would be shocking if he fell to them in the mm-hmm. second round. So you could get a day one starter um, in the second round where they pick. Um, if they wait to the mid-rounds, then it, it, it becomes kind of, could the guy start? Could he beat out Eric Murray? Yeah, they could, but I don't know that it's a safe bet there. Right. Um, somebody I like in those middle rounds, a small school guy, um, Fearon Neal from Jacksonville State, has played both corner and safety, kind of a physical guy. Um, even if he didn't beat out Murray, he's got enough uh, man-to-man coverage skills. You could play him as a nickel or a dime back. That's interesting. Um, so that's a guy in the mid-rounds that I kind of like that could be kind of a sleeper. It would make sense also for the Chiefs to do something like that in the later rounds because whenever you look at you're looking for versatile corners, Kendall Fuller is that, but you're not using him as the guy you bring in in a dime package or something like that. I, I, I don't feel like we know that much about David Amerson. Steven Nelson has some, some flexibility, but bringing in another guy like that makes a lot of sense. So let, let's go ahead and stay in the defensive backfield with the, the place that I think we both think is the most glaring need on this entire team right now, not just the defense, but the cornerback spot. Again, if you can kind of give us a big picture, what does the cornerback position overall look like? And then who's the guy that stands out to you for a guy the Chiefs should be targeting? Well, it kind of depends if they're going to trade up. I think if you want a day one starter that you can feel like, yeah, we're just going to plug that guy in and he'll be our starter opposite Fuller, um, I think you're probably going to have to trade up for him. You might get a guy that slides to 54, um, but I think if you want a guy like Mike Hughes or Isaiah Oliver, I think you're going to have to at least go up to the early second round to get one of those like, day one starter type guys. Um, there is obviously some depth. A guy I really like that they could probably get in like, maybe the third round is uh, Isaac, and I want to say it's Yadam. I could be mispronouncing that, mm-hmm. out of Boston College. Uh, physical guy, good length. He's like 6'1", 190 or something like that. Um, but just plays really scrappy, uh, throws receivers off their routes, which which I really like. I don't know that he'll ever be a complete shutdown guy, but I think he's a guy that could develop into a really good quality starter down the line. We were losing you a little bit there. Just it sounded like maybe, I don't know, falling into an abyss or something, just sort of slowly, yeah, just sort of quietly, slowly drifting away into the abyss. What was the round that you were saying on the guy out of Boston College, kind of the, the trajectory? 
Uh, I think probably third round. I mean, there's a chance maybe fourth round, but I think if you really like that guy, you probably need to pull the trigger in the third round. And so not to get totally stuck on the outside pieces of this, on the outskirts of this conversation, but that's that makes that an incredibly logical pick to me because the Chiefs, they have to find contributors in those middle sections because they've got multiple things they need to fill without a first-round pick. That just that. Yadam, if that if we're close, out of Boston College, that uh, third or fourth round, that makes a, a ton of sense to me. Um, and we'll talk about what you think the Chiefs actually do, and, we, and maybe talk a little bit more about options in the trade up here in a second. But let's let's stick with the position breakdowns on two more places. Um, the pass rush is something that I don't think you can ever truly over invest in in the NFL, at least you know in draft picks. Financially, I'm sure you can, but but as far as bringing in new young pass rushers, even a team that, that theoretically has two starters kind of in the books if D. Ford comes back healthy and Tano Passigno kind of coming up the pipeline, I'm always going to be happy to see the Chiefs add another pass rusher. Is there someone in that grouping that has caught your eye? Oh, man, probably my favorite defensive player in this draft is a guy named Hercules Mata'afa out of Washington State. How, that has to and, be your favorite player in the draft. It's so much, I, oh, I would buy his, I'd like his jersey, please. Even if he doesn't yeah, end up Oh, well, yeah. First off, coolest name in the draft. Yes, easy. But if you put the tape on, the guy basically was like an Aaron Donald type, um, just wreaking havoc on the interior defensive line all season long. The reason you see him sliding in the draft is the guy only weighs 254 pounds. Mm-hmm. So he's not going to be able to stick at defensive tackle in the NFL. Right. But the guy has such a fast, First step, like if you put on the tape and watch him, he beats the offensive lineman off the ball every time, and that's why I think he'll translate to outside. And mm-hmm. so, if you can get a guy like that in the third or fourth round, I think he has the potential to be the steal of the draft because I just think he's a playmaker, and I think he's not getting near enough looks just because he played defensive tackle in uh, college and obviously won't be able to do that in the NFL. Is there any thought that that playing at Washington State is that hurting his stock, or should it be? Like, is that an appropriate sort of stumbling block? I've heard, and this isn't even a, a great comparison, but I think back to Dontari Poe whenever I basically hear someone who's not out of the SEC um, because Dontari Poe is doing it at Memphis, and there's the thought of, oh, I don't know, he was playing at Memphis, and again, not that Washington State is is Memphis, um, although. I'm gonna. I'll see if I can find their total enrollment. This will be very good radio. I can Google that. Um, but is there any any concern there at all? Quality of, of opponent or anything? Well, maybe. But I guess I almost look at the opposite way. Here's this guy that's that's a huge playmaker at only 254 pounds, mm-hmm. and you'd think he'd be getting double teamed left and right and just not be able to get anywhere against offensive lines. And instead, he's in the backfield all game long yeah. making plays. So. To me, it was almost more impressive that he wasn't on a major team and was still able to produce numbers like he did in terms of tackles for loss and pressures and things like that. Um, he was just all over the field. So I, that's, again, probably my favorite guy in this draft class that I hope the Chiefs target. And for everyone who was hanging on the, the cliffhanger I left you on, Washington State's enrollment is about 30,000, and Memphis is about 20,000. So there we go. They're... <laughs> it's it, not Memphis, but close enough that I don't feel terrible about the uh, about the comparison. Um, right on. This is the position that I have the most hesitance about investing in deeply. I, I I think the Chiefs have set themselves up very well to not be terribly worried about the interior offensive line. Um, talked about this a little bit earlier today. Patrick Mahomes with an average left tackle and an above-average center and an above-average right guard and an exceptional right tackle, if that left guard ends up being below average or just the best out of Cam Irving versus uh, Brian Witzman versus Parker Anger, I'm pretty comfortable with that. But you've done some looking into the interior offensive line class. How do you feel about the Chiefs' needed offensive line, the class coming in, and then I, I know already Wyatt Teller? Right. Um so I disagree a little bit, but it's probably just the style of offensive line play I prefer. Mm-hmm. I have been screaming for the Chiefs to add a, a interior offensive lineman that can actually move defensive tackles out of the way. The Chiefs seem to like these athletic guys that are good at pulling and getting outside, and I just would love to see 
an interior offensive lineman for the Chiefs that could line up against the defensive lineman and move him out of the way. And so it, could Patrick Mahomes survive without a new left guard? Yes, he probably could. You're right. But just personally, man, it would be nice to see somebody get in there that can actually move some people out of Kareem Hunt's way, especially short yardage, gore line, that kind of stuff. With that in mind, and I don't, I don't want to, you know, just start throwing blows here. But like, with that in <laughs> mind, is that a similar level of need to what the Chiefs have at? you know, in the defensive backfield or even with a pass rusher, that's where I get, I'm with you. I would love to see uh, a mauling offensive line that just keeps Mahomes clean and opens up stuff for Kareem Hunt and the other 75 running backs the Chiefs currently have on the roster. Um, I would love more of that, but for me, I I see investing in an offensive lineman in the first three rounds as ignoring more of those holes in the defensive backfield. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I agree with you. I think defense has to be the priority in this draft. That having been said, if they have a guy that they think is a Pro Bowl-level day-one starter that's Mm -hmm. available in the second or third round and they decide to pull the trigger because they like him better than the talent at the defensive positions at that point, I'm not going to be mad about that at all. Right. Uh, But I definitely think in a perfect world, yeah, they go defense early. And, but that, and also, though, that's interesting. Like, yeah, if that ends up clearly being the best player on the board, if there's a guard that falls and you're you're out of starting corners and out of starting safeties, I would understand the logic there. It would just it would be that'd be a hard pill to swallow for me because it seems like the Chiefs have really been kind of waiting for the draft to to fix some of their problems in the defensive backfield. So, we, yeah, yeah, and I agree. But and and if they if that second third round pick Wyatt Teller is still on the board, who you mentioned earlier, man, I hope they pull the trigger because he's athletic enough to do the pulling and stuff they like, but has that kind of nasty in your face attitude that'll put some guys in the turf. So to me, third or fourth round, if he was there, man, I would jump all over that. If the Chiefs do have all three of the picks they currently have, and that ends up being the third one, I would I would be able to to take a deep breath after that, and I'd be I'd be fine. Um, also, the Chiefs have shown themselves in recent years to be willing to trade up later in the draft. I I would be stunned if we didn't see something like that. You know, where the Chiefs gave up a, a pick or two to go get uh, Kareem Hunt, stuff like that. That doesn't necessarily read as a big move in later days. The thing that I am interested in, I'm curious to see what you think on this. Do you think the Chiefs are going to have all three of those picks uh, in those first, I guess in the first three rounds, but the, the, the second rounder and the two-thirds, or do you think the Chiefs end up moving up for someone? And if so, who do you have in your uh, in your crosshairs? I Man, it feels like Brett Veach is trying to tell everybody and their mother that he wants to move up. Yes. I mean, the guy is basically just advertising that he's aggressive and, yep. and willing to go get his guy. It just feels like he wants to move up, and it feels like cornerback is the position that he's targeting, and maybe I'm just buying into too much media speculation on that. But, man, the buzz seems to be moving up for a cornerback. And if they were, my guess would be Mike Hughes. But, uh, you know, a guy like Isaiah Oliver would be a good pick, too. Um, I think it's Carlton Davis would maybe be another one, but I'm not quite as high as him as I am on, like, Hughes or Oliver. But if if you had to make me guess today, and actually I have a mock draft up on Arrowhead Attic today, hmm. I projected them to move up and take Hughes um, in, the, in the early second round. So we'll see what happens. But if you made me predict today, that would probably be my guess. I didn't know you had a mock draft out yet. This worked out incredibly well. Uh, so go to Fansided, or Arrowhead Addict, which is a part of the Fansided network. Um, you might eventually see some things I've written. I, I had a thing on that popped up on Fansided on Arrowhead Addict today where I'm also special. Um, go, go, go read uh, Lyle's mock draft. Um, one other thing on the cornerbacks before I, I make you uh, talk about this draft that you just uh, wrote about. Um how many starting caliber corners would you say are in this draft? If you don't have a specific number, don't don't sweat it. But ballpark, how many guys here could start? Actually, let's make this easier. How many guys in this draft could start at corner for the Chiefs day one? Um, I'm trying to – honestly, I haven't even looked at those very top corners because uh-huh. I just wrote them off because I went the Chiefs aren't going, you know, they aren't going to make as big a jump as they did last year. Um, but – the three guys that I think that are realistic for the Chiefs would be the three that I just named, the Hughes, Oliver, and Davis. 
to me, those are the three possible guys you're looking at. There's some other elite kind of top of the draft type corners. I just don't see those as options for sure. KC realistically, ammo wise for moving up. But to me, it's really those three. Now, there's some other guys um, that could surprise and start day one and be really good. But to me, if you get past those three guys, it starts to become more of a, well, they might be able to beat out Steven Nelson or right. David Amerson when it's more of a camp battle situation than a, yeah, that guy's going to walk in and, and start on day one. Tell us about Nathan Shepard, and also tell me how you have the Chiefs with the second, second round pick here. All right, so what I did, had in my mock draft is I had them trade with Indianapolis, um, who after their trade with the Jets now have three second round picks. Okay. So what I did is I had the Chiefs trade away the uh, second rounder next year that they got from Marcus Peters. Got it. As well as one of their third round this year and one of their fourth round this year okay. for the uh, 37th overall. So that okay. still left Indianapolis with two second rounders this year, and then they'd have two thirds and two fourths, and plus they pick up that extra second rounder next year. Totally so makes sense. That's kind of had that made that work, and then that way they were able to land two defensive contributors in the second round of this draft and really kind of solidify things. Okay, so let's go. Uh, I'm going to go through the rest of your draft here. Give us 30 seconds on each of these guys, and then we got to get out of here. Um, okay. So tell, tell us about Nathan Shepard, the defensive tackle you have the Chiefs taking with this their, this original second-round pick out of Fort Hay State. Um, just an awesome story, guys, from Canada. Worked in a factory to pay to save money to go to college in the U.S. Little Fort Hayes State, the guy has the perfect length and strength to play defensive end in the 3-4 and the athleticism to rush the passer on the interior in the sub-pack. Uh, next pick, you do have the Chiefs getting Hercules Mata'afa. We talked about him a lot already. So far, it's like a very defense-heavy mock draft. What's the twist? Oh, next, it's also a defensive player. Tell us about Jannard Avery and also why you have the Chiefs taking a linebacker here. Um, Gennard, Gennard Avery, one of my, another one of my favorite guys. The guy looks like an inside linebacker and did play some inside linebacker, but he's a monster pass rusher off the edge, one of the better I watched on film. And so that's a guy that you could get in the fourth round that could be a core special teams player, back up the inside linebacker positions, and come in as a situational pass rusher um, on third down. And then you have the Chiefs getting a safety next. It's a very defensive draft, which I'm completely okay with. Um, again, I know we're late in the draft, and, and now maybe throwing darts a little bit, but uh, Damon Webb out of Ohio State? Yeah, actually I think would be a good value pick if he's there in the sixth. Um, not a real physical guy, not going to replace Eric Berry if which he's out at all. Yeah. But uh, he's good backfield single high safety. He, he reacts well. He closes on guys well. I think he'd be a Good value pick in the sixth round. So your overall mock here is the Chiefs trading up for Mike Hughes, the corner out of UCF, the Nathan Shepard, uh, Hercules Mata'afa, Jannard Avery, Damon Webb, all defensive players ending it with Evan Brown, a, uh, a an interior offensive lineman out of SMU. Um, do you have any? Do you have anything spicy? Any spicy takes on Evan Brown? You yeah, have actually, this is the guy I think is being slept on most, maybe in the entire draft evaluation process. The guy didn't give up a single sack his senior year. He His pro day numbers were off the charts, would have blown up the combine and been the talk of the offensive line group, and just nobody's talking about the guy. Um, he's super smart. He had Ivy League scholarship offers out of high school. I think the guy's got some sleeper potential and would love to see the Chiefs go there in the seventh round. Tons of good stuff there, Lyle. Thank you. It's Lyle Graverson. You can read his stuff at Arrowhead Attic. The mock draft is out there now. You can follow him on Twitter, at Lyle Graverson, where there are what sounds like it should be O's. There are actually E's. Is there anything else uh, that you want to plug, Lyle, that I haven't already touched on? Uh, no, the mock draft's up there, and in that mock draft, it's got links to some positional draft previews that I did if people are interested. So you can just check that out uh, if you go look at the mock draft. Fantastic. Go give Lyle some clicks. Lyle, Lyle, alligator, whatever. What, that's, what, that's what we're at, right? Lyle, fantastic. Uh, great to talk to you. We'll talk to you again soon, I'm sure. Uh, hopefully after the draft, after the Chiefs have just sort of followed your mock draft plan. I would not be mad at that. Hey, that sounds good. All right, Lyle, thanks for the time. Lyle Graverson on Twitter as such, uh, writer for Arrowhead Act, all over there. Go read his, uh, his, his positional reviews, his mock drafts. Go follow him on, on Twitter and uh, tweet him alligator gifts. I think that would be fun. And see if he blocks you.
Perfect. This is Almost Entirely Sports with Joshua Briscoe. I have a anchor tattoo on my nose because I refuse to sing. On 1510 AM, 94.5 FM, and the ESPN Kansas City Facebook page. We're just gonna we're just gonna make you mainline draft stuff. Like this week, over on Sportsnet on Tuesday, Chief Concerns on Wednesday. Back here on Thursday and Friday, Beards is apoplectic. He is just beside himself. But I... That will be my Thursday, Friday, and Sunday. What now? That will be what I'm doing Thursday, Friday, and Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. And you're, like, running the actual coverage and stuff. So yeah. you're going to be our uh, draft correspondent no, thanks. on Monday. you got to come back with notes on everybody. Oh, I didn't ask Lyle about the quarterbacks. I did kind of want to make him. I did kind of want to ask him about the quarterbacks. I, there's no reason for him to have been actually analyzing them. He may have been completely unprepared for that. You know who won't be unprepared for that? Matt Verderam. Oh wow! Holy bleep! Is this show having two guests on basically back to back? And I would say yes, we actually are today. You may think, wow, Josh must have had nothing coming into the day. And I would say, well. That wasn't the first reason I decided. There are lots of days whenever I don't have a whole, like, flight pattern ready for the show. Today I needed to get some stuff in the can so we could refer back to their analysis during draft week. Draft week! So, yeah, whenever we talk to Matt, coming up here in a second, um, I, think we'll get, I think we'll get to the quarterbacks. And I imagine, I have not talked to Matt in a little while. I haven't asked him for any, like, starting points here. I imagine that eventually I will say, here, here's a bet. All right, play this game at home. I'm going to say the name Josh Allen at some point, and I think Matt will, will make an audible groan. See if that happens next. You're listening to Almost Entirely Sports with Joshua Briscoe on ES. This is Almost Entirely Sports with Joshua Briscoe. Matt Verderam is going to join us at 530. Uh, he'll inject some moisture into the show. What? On 1510 AM, 94.5 FM, and the ESPN Kansas City Facebook page. Wow. I have no memory of saying that. That literally means, wow. Okay. Very good. Well, if that didn't do it for you, now you know. Matt Verderam is joining us now here on Almost Entirely Sports. You can follow him on Twitter at Matt Verderam if you're not already. He's the NFL lead writer for Fan Side. He has the Stacking the Box podcast. And Matt, when we went to break last segment, um, we sort of predicted something. Uh, you can you you cannot obviously know what the thing is. I'm just going to say uh, two words and then see what happens. Okay. Josh Allen. Boss. No, oh, I was reading my 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 guess was an audible groan. That was the guess that I had coming into it. But uh, that's pretty good also. I don't understand that anybody can look at the film of him. Can anybody look at, at the statistics of him, both in high school and college, and come away with anything other than he is a project quarterback who at best should be taken early on day two? So, I like, please, please do try to help me understand this. What is going on here? Also, though, in fairness, I'm seeing a lot of a, a lot of guys that I respect in the, not, I don't know if I can even say in the scouting community, but even just, like, NFL pundits who I think, like, know what's going on, like, who get it, looking at Josh Allen and saying exactly what you just said. Like, what are NFL teams seeing? Like, is it, is it really that, like, Josh Rosen's too smart? Baker Mayfield likes to party too much. Lamar Jackson's too black. Like, is that actually what's happening? Josh Allen is just, like, the easiest person to deal with? I think it's a combination of a lot of things. I, I think one of them is Josh Allen is a big, strong kid with a huge arm. And teams look at him and say, we can fix what's wrong with him. Right. And once we do, he's going to be great. But don't ever underestimate the, the, the idea in NFL circles of I can fix this guy. Yeah. You look at Allen, he's never completed 60% of his throws in any year of high school or college That's, football. It's crazy. There is no – listen, the idea that he's somehow going to get more accurate in the NFL <laughs> is insane. And it's literally almost never happened. If you look at quarterbacks 
if you look at quarterbacks from 2000 on, who have been drafted in the first round, most of which, I believe 28 of the 40, have thrown for over 60 complete, uh, 60% completion rate. Of the 12 guys below that threshold, only four have been any good, and I believe it's Stafford, Palmer, Flacco, and Ryan. I might have uh, missed one name in there, but it, it, it's very rare that a quarterback in the first round gets drafted and he's any good if he has a completion rate like Allen's. I, that just makes all the sense in the world, but, you're, but also the kind of the ego of the NFL saying, you know what, give me that tool, the tools there, and I'll fix it. I, I, I understand where that comes from, I guess. Um, beyond beyond kind of a general disdain for Josh Allen and for me uh, a general liking of Josh Rosen and Baker Mayfield and also Lamar Jackson, I, I feel nothing towards Sam Darnold, but it's starting to sound like he is the uh, favorite to go number one overall. Uh, does that does that pan out that that is the most likely situation to happen? And if so, like, can you tell me four things about Sam Darnold? Yeah. Uh, first of all, I'll give you a great one. Sam Darnold's grandfather, Dick Hammer, uh, was a Marlboro man yes! at one point. So Perfect. there you go. Uh, but no, as, as far as as far as on the field stuff, yeah, look, when you watch <laughs> when you watch Darnold, he, he's he's an accurate passer. Uh, you know, he, he can make all the throws. He doesn't have a huge arm. He doesn't have Josh Allen's arm, but he's got a more than capable arm. Josh, mm-hmm. you know, Sam Darnold is not going to wow you off the tape. You know, you're not going to say, wow, look at that throw, but he, he can make every throw that he's got to make. He is, he is subtly terrific. Um, I, I think, you know, he, he moves well in the pocket. He's not somebody who's going to run for a lot of yards at the NFL level, but he's very good at moving within it. Um, and, and he clearly, in my opinion, has, along with Rosen, the best understanding of how to go through his progression. It's evident on tape. So, to me, I think he's the right pick. I've thought he's the right pick the whole time for Cleveland. I don't think he's the best player in this draft, but I think he's the best quarterback in this draft. And if you're the Browns right now, that's all that matters because right. they, until they solve that problem, the rest of it is irrelevant. All right, you walked us right up to it. Uh, you, you brought the horse to water. Let's drink it. Who's the best player in this draft? I think Quentin Nelson is going out of Northern. I, I think for really? my money, Nelson Nelson is the best player. He is, he, you know, and look, I and I will preface this by saying I hate the term. He is a generational talent at the position he plays. Um, he is the best guard I have personally ever watched on tape. Now, keep that in mind. I'm 29 years old, mm-hmm. so yeah, I've, I've been watching tape for a decade. But he is uh, everything you would want at that position. He's a mauler in the run game. He plays nasty. He plays physical. He's very smart. Uh, he picks up every kind of blitz you could throw out. He picks up blitzes he's not even supposed to pick up. Uh, I think he is the most talented player. If he was a tackle and, he's, and he wasn't a guard, mm-hmm. he would be the number one overall pick in a landslide. It wouldn't even be a contest. But he's a guard, mm-hmm. and so people will value him somewhat. I think beyond him, I, I think Chubb and Barkley are the next two guys who I would say Probably the safest picks in terms of just their talent, although Barkley plays a position that it's never safe because you're one hit away. So we'll probably talk about the guard position a little bit more here in a second because it's something we talked about with the Chiefs a lot. Um, But so, like, humor me for a second. Like, who's the best active guard in the NFL right now for your money? Ooh, uh, that's a a good question. I I think Andrew Norwell, who's a sign with Jacksonville, he's – He's right up there. He's at the top of the list. There's a few, and so, um, but he first one jumps to mind. Okay, totally fine. Um, my thought with you know Quentin Nelson can be a, a generational player, but where does that connect as far as impact? Because you're you're not saying that you would take him number one. I don't. I don't. Maybe you. Maybe you would. Um, but that's such an that's such an interesting conundrum where you think that this guy is is the best guy you've seen at this position in 10 years of watching tape, but he's at a position that, and I don't mean to, you know, be dismissive, might be the least directly impactful position on the field, Uh, you know, opposed, uh, opposite special teams. Like, (coughs) excuse me, how do you see that translating into value for him? What's the team that should be pulling the trigger on the best guard you've seen in a decade? Where should he go? No, I think it's a great point. Um, and the reality of it is that's why he's not going to go number one. I don't think he should go number one. That said, 
when you look at these teams, and of course you're going to see probably plenty of movement here in the top ten picks, but right. as it stands right now, I think Denver makes some sense because Denver has not been able to block anybody for, for years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they need to start to build that group up. However, I think the most obvious fit is Indianapolis. Indianapolis makes- couldn't guard. Yeah. Indianapolis could not block you or me right now. Right. They have no offensive line. Right. And if they don't keep Andrew Luck upright, they are hopeless. So to me, if I'm the Colts, look, you could argue, well, they need defensive help. The Colts need a ton of help. Yep. But they have three second-round picks, two of which they got from the Jets. And if I'm the Colts, I'm saying, look, if that guy's here at six, he is an immediate upgrade, well, wild upgrade over anybody on, on our offensive line. Mm-hmm. And then we can go out in the second round and draft best player available defensively for the next three picks. But I, I think when you look at fit, when you look at need, I, I think the Colts are, are the team that makes the most sense. And not that this matters, but he played another game right down the street from Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. That that's something that would not. I wouldn't even roll my eyes. A, a guard going high makes me roll my eyes. You sold me on him as a player. The situation matters so much, though. That makes sense because the Colts have something to protect, at least to figure out if it still works. Like if it's not broken already, and Andrew Luck. Um, the idea of the Broncos drafting Quentin Nelson. You said that, and I immediately like. I had to like. Sni- I had to stifle a, a chuckle because the idea that they're that they're drafting someone, drafting a guard that highly to protect who exactly? Uh, what do you think the Broncos end up doing, and then what do you think they should be doing? The Broncos are one of the harder teams to predict. The one mm-hmm. thing you do hear from a lot of people is that they like Josh Allen a lot. I hear that a lot. Um, That's very and, exciting to me. Know, I, I got to tell you, and you know, not because we're on Kansas City Air, but just the truth of it, they're out of their minds if they take that guy. <laughs> they just finished going through two years of Paxton Lynch. And yes. what was Paxton Lynch's problem? Paxton Lynch couldn't complete passes. Paxton Lynch is a big, strong kid with a big arm who simply cannot get through his reads and cannot be accurate with football. Yes. Now, all that being said, uh, I, and I think Allen's going to be there, by the way, for them. I really do, because if Cleveland doesn't take him, I don't think anybody else will take him for them. Um, but if they don't go that route, I think I think they would be very wise to take Nelson. If they don't take Nelson, I actually think quarterback-wise, Rosen would be a really good fit for them. But mm-hmm. I just don't – I think if they're going to take a quarterback, I think it's going to be Allen. Oh, that is delicious. That is just that is just candy to me. Um one thing that I guess I wouldn't want to see to Denver would be to see them get Quentin Nelson and then to bank on Lamar Jackson falling to them in the second round. Is that plausible, or how plausible is it that Lamar Jackson is not a first-round pick? I would be shocked. Okay. I don't think he's, I don't think he's last in the pick 20. Oh, interesting. Um, because we always see quarterbacks get taken very aggressively off the board. Look at last year. A lot of Chiefs fans thought, hey, maybe Mahomes will get to us at 27. Right, no. He's going up to 10 to get him. Yep. And there was a story over on my old Vaughn Arrowhead Pride today yep. that said, hey, if Sean Payton had a chance, there was a good chance they would have taken him at 11. Yep. So, you know, look, I think in, in reality, you know, Jackson's a very talented guy. Now, he's somebody who only completed 57% of his passes, which is a big red flag. Mm-hmm. However... He improved on that accuracy number every year, something mm-hmm. Allen did not do. And he also is an incredible threat athletically, yeah. something Allen is not. So, uh, to me, uh, I, I think Jackson, if he got to the Cardinals at 15, yep. I think he's gone right there. It seems like a I don't great think fit. he's getting past them. Uh, what do you think about the uh, the strategy that a lot of teams are, are employing now? And correct me if I'm if I'm just being captive of the moment here. But the Chiefs did this with Patrick Mahomes last year, obviously. They draft a guy and have one more year of the incumbent. The Cardinals go out, sign Sam Bradford, and are presumably going to draft a quarterback. Um, the the Jets did it twice, I think, with uh, Teddy Bridgewater yeah. and Josh McCown. Um, and then we'll, we'll probably draft a quarterback. I have to put probably in front of all these. The Browns did it with Tyrod Taylor. Are teams starting to get a little more comfortable with the idea of drafting a quarterback really highly and then just letting him sit for a year because they think it's going to be helpful for the long term? Or am I making that up? I think teams are getting really comfortable with that in theory. Okay. That is a yes. very okay. hard thing to do when you're 2-6 and six mm-hmm. and the fans are screaming mm-hmm. and you're getting it from all angles on talk radio. The Chiefs were able to do it last year because the team, by and large, has been very successful, at least in the regular season under Andy Reid, 
and Alex Smith was having for the first half of the year an MVP-type season. Right. So I, I think for the Chiefs, it was a perfect storm of, hey, they came out all season and said he's not ready, he's not playing this year, mm-hmm. we are going to compete with Alex Smith, and I think the Chiefs could sell that realistically. It's a hell of a lot harder if you're the Bills to trot out A.J. McCarron and say, don't worry right. about it, guys. We're going we're gonna to sit our starting quarterback. I think the same thing goes for the, the Browns, for the Jets, for the Cardinals. I think the one team that could do that is the Giants with Eli Manning. Yeah. If the Giants wanted to, they could say, hey, look, we're going to try to compete this year. We're going to try to bounce back. We're going to take Josh Rosen with the second pick, and he is going to sit for a year. But beyond them, any other team, and, and of course, New England, if New England trades up the, the mm-hmm. proxy reasons, they could do it. Yeah. But most of these teams, I, I think maybe in theory, but most of those kids would be starting by week five. Yeah, that makes sense. I think that's a, that's a good interpretation of it. Talking to Matt Verderam of Fanside and also the Stacking the Box podcast. Uh, I want to. I, I like. We, we get to talk to a lot of people here uh, with very, very Chief-specific uh, lines of work now. I like talking to Matt because he's got a, a broader uh, perspective now while also having that, that Chief's heart and soul that we love so much. Um, but one thing, Matt, that we, we talked a little bit about around here last week, something that I'd like your, your broader perspective on, is sort of the state of the AFC right now, especially offensively. Now, we know that some things can change, but I don't think that Sam Darnold is going to bring the Browns into a conversation about having one of the, the most dangerous offenses in the league. So we can go ahead and gloss over that. The, 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 we can stand over those corners, I suppose. Um, but we, we were talking about where the AFC stands offensively now. As long as Tom Brady's playing, I don't care literally who is around him. Tom Brady and Bill Belichick keep an offense at the top of the league, and the the Steelers have a ton of weapons, even around an aging Ben Roethlisberger. But after you you nail those things down, you start to get to some question marks. How accurate will Deshaun Watson be? What does he look like coming back from injury? What does Andrew Luck look like coming back from injury? What does uh, Patrick Mahomes look like in his sort of debut, official debut of a season? Do the Chiefs belong in that conversation where, where they're kind of the the more likely question marks to, to be answered affirmatively? Is there somebody I'm missing? How do the Chiefs fit into that spectrum right now? I don't think there's anybody you're missing. I will say this. Looking at the two conferences comparatively, yeah. the AFC is a literal tire fire. <laughs> yes. The AFC is awful compared to the NFC. It's a mess. Now, yeah. That, that being said, you know, anyone who's listened to me or read me the last handful of years, you know, I've always said I think New England and Pittsburgh are the preeminent teams in the conference. I thought Kansas City was one of the teams that could challenge them, mm-hmm. but those have been the two best teams. I look at those two teams this year, and I, I would not be shocked if this is the year when neither one of them gets to the AFC Championship game. And, mm-hmm. and not because I don't think those teams are big threats or anything like that, but you look at New England. New England is one injury to Gronkowski or Edelman away from having absolutely no ability to move in football. I don't mm-hmm. care how good Brady is. They have no talent in that offense outside of those two guys, yeah. and the defense is terrible. Pittsburgh, I think, has the most weapons. I think they're the most talented offense in the league. The, mm-hmm. the question with Pittsburgh is how focused are they? Because the end of last year, you had Bell skipping walkthroughs for the playoffs, and guys just totally checking out mentally. Um, the Chiefs are very interesting from the standpoint that, to me, everybody misses the point with the Chiefs. You can talk all day long about their defense and how many questions are defensively. None of it means anything if Mahomes is really good. Yep. Because they will go out and they will flat out outscore people in the regular season. They will win 12 games because they will score 30 points in their sleep. The, the, the question to me is, how good is Mahomes right away? If he plays the way he plays Denver, they will, they will win 11 or 12 games, no problem. If, if he plays like a lot of rookies play, or you know, in this case, a debut playing, uh, player plays, I, I think they could, they could win eight, nine games mm-hmm. because I don't think the defense can carry him. But the Chiefs, if Mahomes is really good right away, there's no reason in this conference the Chiefs can't challenge anybody. It's, just, yeah. it's a question to me of how good is he right now. And that's like that's what we're all waiting for. Like that's the question that everyone should be asking. For me, it's kind of nice to have that be a question that like really does have multiple options. Like instead of asking about you know how good can the pass rush be with Justin Houston and D four, or can Alex Smith, you know, can this be the year that Alex Smith really takes over the offense? These questions that we kind of feel we know the answer to already. This is one that we really don't, and that's exciting for to, for be there for once. So 
that's yeah, that's encouraging. Yeah, and I think I think you're right. I agree with you. And also with them, you look at them. You know, I'll give a perfect example. You look at the Week 17 game last year. Now that game meant nothing in the stand. Mm-hmm. The Chiefs wrapped up the division. They were locked into their seating. But Denver in that game, they mixed in some backups, but by and large played their starters in that game. And Mahomes scored 27 points, and he didn't even play most of the fourth quarter. Yeah. And, and they were playing with, with all due respect to the backups, they were playing with guys who typically would not spend a lot of time on the field. Yep. And – I am convinced that if Alex Smith starts that game, there is no way the Chiefs win that game. There's just not. He, right. he is not yes. creating the amount of offense that Mahomes created in that game. He made five or six throws that Alex Smith, frankly, wouldn't make. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to me, there's going to be games this year where Chiefs fans are going to have to live with Mahomes making mistakes and throwing picks he shouldn't and trying to force a ball that he could have forced in in Texas Tech and he can't force in the NFL. There are, there are going to be other games, though, where he makes throws like that, and they win the game because he's just out of his mind. And if that's the case, you have to live with that as a chief, and that's part of the bargain of Patrick Mahomes, especially early in his career. All right, we'll get you out of here on one draft question. Maybe we might get one more specific thing in, but one more kind of uh, large-scale thing. We've heard Brett Veach be really open recently about his aggressiveness and the fact that you know in the building they're doing all these mock drafts to get through all these different situations. And pretty much every time Brett Veach, you might have said literally every time, Brett Veach has said that, that he's been trading up. And even to the point where people in the room are like, hey, Brett, like, chill, man. Like, we got to we gotta make sure we can actually draft players later in the draft, too. Um, but I'm, I'm curious what you think about that line of thinking. Because even Veach himself talked about how, um, how you know, you, you can try to go get those blue chip players or, you know, at least those starting level players. But it might end up costing you in the depth department. What would your philosophy be, Matt, to uh, to figure out how to balance the need to go get the guys that can that can change your team now versus the guys that stabilize your base? I love aggressiveness. I always have. I think that that is the way to win in the NFL, and that includes in the draft. People overvalue quantity of draft picks. Mm-hmm. Once you get into round four – you have a 10% chance or less of that player ever contributing statistically. Mm. So to me, if you can package all, a bunch of those picks and get up into the first two days, you should do it. Because the difference between a fourth-round pick and an undrafted free agent is negligible. Mm. And the Chiefs have shown over the years, frankly, they've gotten some undrafted free agents in the house who have played really well for them. And I would, I would challenge any Chief fan to tell me yes, their last 10 fourth-round picks and how many of those guys have turned into anybody. And I know – you can get lucky. You can you can find gold, Tyreek Hill, Laurent mm-hmm. Duvernay, Tardy. That's all true. Mm-hmm. But if you're the Chiefs, you're looking at this team right now and saying, how many holes are there really right now? Probably starting corner, maybe a safety, maybe a pass rushing defensive lineman. But they're a pretty good team as is, especially offensively. Mm-hmm. So if they feel like they can move up and get a few guys, I would say the hell with it. Move up. Do what you can. And we'll bring in a bunch of undrafted free agents, and if we find a guy or two here or there, hey, it's the same as if you found a guy in the fifth round. What is the difference? I, I'm right with you. I think that's fantastic. Last thing, is there any one specifically or any position specifically that you're especially enamored with for the Chiefs this year? I'm very interested in, in corner because I mm-hmm. think in the draft they, they have to find one. Yep. Uh, this idea that they can go into the season. Look, and I know Brett Beach mentioned – Will Redman, Keith Reeser. <laughs> if, if you're relying on Will Redman or Keith Reeser, you're playing Russian roulette with five bolts in the chamber. Okay? <laughs> yes, you like, are. Yes. You may, get, you may get lucky, and one of them may play well, yep. but this idea that you can rely on these guys is crazy. If I'm the Chief, if Josh Jackson falls, if Jair Alexander falls, and they can scoop them up early in the 30s, see, that's where if I'm beach, I'm aggressive. Yep. I don't care. Because if you can get that guy, and you're right, then you've got Fuller, then you've got Nelson, then you've got Emerson as your fourth corner, and all of a sudden you look a hell of a lot better at the biggest position of need, in my opinion, on that entire team. So corner to me is big, followed closely by a defensive line. They have got to get somebody who can rush the passer and packages next to Chris Jones. That's a great point on the defensive lineman. Haven't talked about that a lot yet. We'll get to it, Marcus. This is the good news about having this conversation on a Monday. We've got days to fill. Matt, as always, great to hear from you. Great to get to talk to you. And uh, I hope the Broncos draft Josh Allen. God, I hope the Broncos draft Josh Allen. 
they might. Do, I'll tell you, the biggest upset is John Gruden's going to have to pick somebody for a team that's not forty years old. <laughs> I, he, he, he might just keep passing. I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, have a good week, Nat. You too, Josh Baker. Oh God, I will. I don't think I'm ever going to get tired of jokes about John Gruden only signing players that are 40 years old or older. I guess you could trade them all away. You could trade them all for, like, I heard, I've heard Tom Brady's over 40, or is 40. He is? I've heard that. I've heard rumors that Tom Brady is 40. Breaking news! Breaking news. Can we get a little, can we get, can we, excuse me, <clears throat> I've just been handed, let's see, I've just been handed a uh, single piece of paper. Uh, oh, we have Breaking news. Report, Tom Brady is 40. You're supposed to play the zinger at the beginning and the end. You're real Josh Allen, Beards. You, you, you take these big throws, you, you just slinging it, but man, your accuracy is not the strong point of your game. I hope you end up in Denver. This is Almost Entirely Sports with Joshua Briscoe. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.